Are you ready to elevate your doula business to the next level? I want to introduce you to the ultimate guide to crafting your kick-ass doula packages. Whether you're a seasoned doula looking to refresh your offerings or just starting out in the field, this free guide is your roadmap to success. In this guide, you'll find strategies to tailor your services for your clients, ways to make the prices sustainable for you and something that you feel really great about, and different creative ways to make your doula packages unique to you and not just the same as everybody else's in the industry. This is a free guide and you can download it right now. Head over to hurrahdoulaservices.com slash doula packages to get your copy today. Welcome to Doula Tips and Tits. This podcast is a place where we answer one question about doula work, both to support you and to help you support your clients. I'm Kaylee Harad. I've been supporting families in this perinatal space since my oldest was born 12, nearly 13 years ago. I am a birth and postpartum doula, childbirth educator, La Leche League leader, and a doula coach. I love guiding and supporting doulas as they work out their doula business. It is a tremendous joy to be trusted in this way. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Okay, our next point of view episode is about placenta delivery. Now, I like to talk about placenta delivery in the fact that it kind of depends on where you're giving birth, right? Because how placenta delivery is managed is very different in in hospital versus birth versus out of hospital birth. So there are kind of two ways that we frame this. One is expectant waiting, which is exactly what it sounds like that we like give the placenta time to be delivered, right? The other is active management. That's where something is happening to help the placenta come. Now, there are contexts in which one or the other is safer. So this is one that if you're super into evidence-based information, it's a little bit tricky because how the labor is going and what has been added to the process really is a big part of what is safer. The other thing that's tricky about this is part of it is how it's done by a provider. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. So it's one topic in the midst of birth that is not as straightforward in terms of like this one option is absolutely always every single time the safest option. That's just not the case. So this is a scenario where you have to have a little bit of nuance in how you're teaching it and also just how you think about it because it is different for different folks. Okay. So in an out of hospital setting, one thing that's important to note is that people who give birth at a home, like a home birth or a birth center are already low risk folks, right? They're in the U S at least there are many rules around who can and can't give birth at home in part because there's risk involved with not being near some of the medical interventions that are at a hospital, right? So we tend to see that the home and birth center crowd is a lower risk crowd of folks, which means the chance of something like a postpartum hemorrhage or um, placenta retention are both a little bit lower in that group, right? The other thing is that if you're giving birth in a birth center or a hospital, I mean a birth center or a home, you haven't been on an epidural, you haven't had a medical induction where you've had Cytotec or Cervidil or Pitocin or any of those things, right? Because 
it is a birth that is naturally kind of playing out on its own. That's because the scenario that you're you're picking, that's how that goes, right? It doesn't mean that you haven't maybe had like uh, some some comfort measures, of course, but the, some of the medications that we associate with higher risk of like postpartum hemorrhage and things like that are not a part of those birth scenarios. So that's also a factor. So usually in an out-of-hospital birth, we're going to start with that. So usually in an out-of-hospital birth, the baby is delivered and then the placenta is given time to come. Now, there the providers are, of course, checking how much bleeding someone's having. They're checking, you know, if the cord is finishing pulsing and seems like it's kind of getting a little longer. So it's like detaching from the uterine wall. So they do still have some of the tools that the hospital uses when there is excessive bleeding or when there is a placenta that's kind of stuck and doesn't want to come. They also have policies or should have policies around how long is too long for the placenta to still be on the inside. And at that point, they usually have a policy for transferring to a hospital so that some of the more um, sort of medicalized things can be done to help the placenta be delivered, okay? Now, on the flip side, in a hospital setting, typically you see providers managing the placenta delivery with something called active management. That most often um, combines three different practices. One is bundle massage, which is actually part of an out-of-hospital birth, typically as well, at least a little bit, but not as much, not in such a routine way as in a, in a hospital. Um, the second is IV Pitocin. So Pitocin is a synthetic form of oxytocin, and it's used in scenarios like induction and augmentation of labor, which is just helping labor along. Um, and then and then tugging on the cord or traction on the cord. So so when we're thinking about risk factors of these three things, Pitocin is an incredibly low risk um, for the postpartum time. So during that time, we know that your uterus actually benefits from clamping down a bit more and a bit faster. Sometimes when a uterus has had some assistance with clamping or with, cr- with contractions in the um, labor process, it needs some assistance in the clamping down. So in a scenario where someone's had Pitocin or in a scenario where someone's been induced, then those are situations where the research actually shows us it's significantly safer to have that postpartum Pitocin because the uterus hasn't been doing the whole process by itself. And so we might also need to help it finish this last bit of the process, right? Um, The part that carries the highest risk of these three portions is the traction on the cord. The tricky thing about it is that traction is risky depending on how it's done. So the provider's technique and amount of traction is what raises the risk factor. The thing that's really hard about that is that it's super hard to know in advance which provider has like a safe traction, which provider doesn't, right? It's very, very hard to know. And so this is, again, a topic that I always recommend people talk to their provider about, both to see kind of what is their usual, but also to see what is their response if you're saying, hey, I know I'm giving birth in a hospital, but I'm going to be unmedicated. If I do successfully do an unmedicated birth and I haven't had any medicine added, would you honor my request to do expectant waiting 
even though active management is kind of your typical thing, right? So this is sort of a scenario where you're thinking through like, what is the birth that, that this person is planning? And also what are the risk factors that this person has? And also what are the norms of this provider? And also where are they giving birth? So there's a lot of nuance in this one, but it's important for clients to know what goes into it. I do not teach this because I think every single person should make the same decision about it. So I want to be really clear on that. I don't actually think it's always good to avoid postpartum Pitocin, for instance. Like I, I think there is a lot of research to suggest that in a hospital setting, when someone has an epidural or when someone has been on Pitocin, there is actually a tremendous impact in terms of lowering postpartum hemorrhage. So, so I am not teaching on this particular topic in order to say, like, let me tell you how the hospital has a terrible policy. That is not the case, right? What I'm doing is making sure that people know what is involved in that process. Because what I often see is that once the baby's delivered, the team kind of does their normal thing. And then the patient sometimes doesn't get told what's happening. So they might not realize that they're on a high amount of Pitocin, or they might not realize that they're having some traction done on their cord. And I think those are important things to know, even if you're totally fine with them. It's still important to know like, oh, hey, my provider is helping my placenta be delivered. And they're helping the placenta be delivered in these two ways, right? It's important for people to have informed decision-making, and that is part of this process. So I just want to add that clarity because I do not want anyone saying like, oh, Kaylee definitely hates postpartum Pitocin or whatever. That is not at all the case. That's not what I think, and that's not where this particular conversation is going, okay? So as always, (laughs) connect with me on Instagram if you have any questions about this because I would be happy to have a further conversation around it. And also, if you have things to add to the conversation that you're like, you missed this part, I would be happy to engage with you. I think that's a big part of how we learn. So please do connect with me over there and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Doula Tips and Tits podcast. If you learned something today or had an aha moment, we'd love for you to share that on Instagram and tag us at Haradula so we can celebrate alongside you. If you found this podcast helpful, we would so appreciate you taking a second to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. That helps other doulas find us as we do this work together. This podcast is intended as educational and entertainment. It is not medical advice or business advice. Please consult your own medical or legal team for your own needs around your health and your business. We'll see you again soon.